Amen. Great worshiping with all of you. It is such a great time of year, and uh, this is exciting to finish up our series here. So, December 17th, 1903, something happened that has never happened before. Two brothers, Orville and Wilbur Wright, just south of Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. You know where this story is going, right? They, for the very first time in the history of mankind, defeated gravity and they flew. They flew 120 feet. And right after they did it, they landed. They were, they were just extremely excited and they telegraphed. They didn't send a text message. They telegraphed their sister Catherine and said, we just flew 120 feet. We will be home for Christmas. So Catherine, all excited, she ran to the newspaper and she gave the telegram to the, to the editor. Look at this. And the editor takes a look. Oh, yeah, great. They'll, they'll be home for Christmas. That's nice, was his reply. He completely missed the fact that they had flown 120 feet. The history of mankind, that had never happened before. And when it comes to Christmas, you know, that happened in December 1903, but when it comes to Christmas, it's really easy to miss the real message of Christmas. Now, I know those of you who are here on December 23rd, you know, you're not with family right now, you're not visiting family like we have a lot of people doing, but you're here, you're ready to worship Christ, you understand Christmas isn't just about, it isn't definitely about the commercialism and the presents, it's about Jesus Christ coming to earth. But what we're going to see today as we finish up our series, Perspective on the Messiah, is it's really easy to miss the entirety, the full scope of what that all entailed. God sending his son, Jesus, to be with us. So Galatians 4 is where we're going to be today. Galatians 4. And we already saw the perspective of Mary, the humble praise for the goodness of God. We saw that. We saw the perspective of the shepherds, these outcasts of society who were just blown away that God would reveal, first of all to them, his coming, the sending of the Messiah to them. And they went out and, and they told everyone, you know, the, the message of good news and great joy for all people. The shepherds did that. And today, we're focusing on the perspective of God, our Heavenly Father, and his unwavering love for us in sending the Messiah. So we're going to see that we can become children of God because of what started here on Christmas Day. And the message is called today, A Family for Christmas. A Family for Christmas. There's a lot that goes into this. So let's look beginning in Galatians 4, verse 4, and you can read read that with me. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. I want to take a second here right off the bat to dive into the significance that we see in this very first verse. In the fullness of time. There's a lot of weight behind that, okay? Because up until the point when Jesus Christ came into this world as a baby, there had been 400 years of really just dead silence for for the Jewish people. They had waited for the Messiah. They're waiting for the Messiah for so long that generation went by after generation. And and a lot of people just had, had just gone on with their lives in the normal routine. And they weren't even really ready and looking for the Messiah to come. But the Bible says in the fullness of time, meaning 
God had a perfect plan for when he sent Jesus. And if you think about that 400 years of silence, there's a lot of things that happened there, okay? First of all, Alexander the Great conquered almost all of the known world. And with that, he brought in a common Koine Greek language, which really became the first universal language similar to what English is today, where everybody understands a little bit of Greek, and it's an easy way to communicate. Another thing that happened in that 400 years of history was the Roman Empire became the, the world superpower. And with that, they brought in this amazing system of roads. They had a lot of other technology that they brought in, but their roads connected all of the known world with easy transportation. Again, something that if you think about it, Jesus Christ is coming in, the gospel's going to go forth, Apostle Paul, he's going to use these roads. All the apostles are going to use these roads. And it, and it just, just spread the truth so rapidly. You see, when you look back into the, all the prophecies of Scripture, the 30 pieces of silver, you know, you see the Roman, Roman crucifixion that was prophesied all the way back in Psalm 22 before crucifixion was ever even invented by the Romans. And you can see that every minute of every day, every year, every century... God had been working and planning everything together for this. In the fullness of time, God sent his son. And I mean, the very first applicational thing I can think of in this point is God has a plan for everything that he does. For sure, when he sent the Messiah at the right time. But he has a plan for your life as well. You, you, you may be wondering, why did this happen in my life? Just like the Jews were waiting for the Messiah. When is he coming? Where, what is this timetable even supposed to look like? But he has a perfect plan. In his fullness, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Born of a woman. And this is another one where, can we just stop for a second and think about the significance of this? Okay, Jesus didn't have to come this way, right? He could have, I mean, the, the Messiah, God coming from heaven, he could, have, he could have came from a spaceship from Krypton and crashed into a farm field in Kansas if he wanted to. He could have walked out of the ocean. He could have floated in from the skies, 30 years old, ready to perform miracles. He could have done it that way. But Jesus came as a baby born of a woman into this world, into this sin-cursed, dirty world. He came through through natural cause, through, through, well, a supernatural way, but through a natural birth, through, through a woman. Supernaturally, by the Holy Spirit, he was, he was born. And I don't know about any of you, but any dads out there, like myself, when I, when I had, well, when, when Julie had Beckham, our firstborn child, when we had our first child, make that clear, uh, I had a really romanticized view of what a delivery would be like. Okay. Now, I knew it was painful. You see those movies the, and, and everything, the ladies screaming and yelling, but I had no idea that it would be more like a horror scene in a movie. You know what I mean? Like It's, it's like there's, there's sights and sounds and smells, all this stuff going on that you just don't really think about. And then, of course, you have the other side of it, like, okay, I know that there's going to be a lot of pain, but like in the movies, five minutes later, maybe like less than that, like, mom's holding the baby. She's smiling. Is that, like, her hair is in perfect place? Like, what's up with that, ladies, right? I mean, I mean, seriously. It's a lot worse in real life, let me tell you. And Jesus Christ, holy, pure God, he came into that. He came all the way into this world in that way 
because he loves us. And God sent Jesus Christ, who is also fully God, into this world to become a human because he loves us and because he wants us to be in his family. All right? So a family for Christmas, that's what we're going to talk about here. And that's what we're going to see in Galatians chapter 4. Spurgeon actually has a quote about this verse, verse 4. And I think it's really great. So I'm going to just share that with you. Um, Speaking of Jesus Christ becoming a baby. But as to any explanation of it, no man should venture there. For it remains among the deep things of God, one of those solemn mysteries indeed, into which the angels dare not to look, nor do they desire to pry into it, a mystery which we must not attempt to fathom, for it is utterly beyond the grasp of any finite being. We are talking about God being held in the arms of a human being. Think about it that way. That shows you the heart of God to the, to the lengths that he had to go to save us. And we're going to get there. But Jesus Christ had to be born of a woman, and he had to be born under the law. So question for you. Why did Jesus have to be born of woman, born under the law? Why couldn't it be just came into this world as the Savior, as a full-grown man and ready to, ready to save us? Have you thought about that? Why he had to come in that way? Well, to answer that question, I want to just share the perspective of God the Father, right? That's what this sermon is about. And the perspective of God the Father is he created us, human beings, in his image, as his image bears to reflect his goodness and his attributes into this world. But we fell. We fell into sin. We have all turned our back and gone our own separate way. And we are no, we, our relationship with him is broken on our own. Now, God also, because he is a just, loving, heavenly father, he is holy and pure, he cannot just let sin go unchecked. He can't just forgive everybody and just, whatever, it's okay, yeah, I forgive you now. That would not match his character because he must judge sin. He wouldn't be a just God if he just let wickedness run rampant, right? So he has to judge sin by his very nature, And so the only way to restore our relationship with him is for a human to die for their sins. And just as Romans 5 tells us, Adam brought sin upon all mankind, Jesus Christ, the God-man, he became sin for us. And he took our sins upon himself. But for him to actually die for us and for it to mean something, he actually had to live a sinless, perfect life under the law. And that's what Jesus did. And here, this is where we start getting to our first point. Jesus Christ faced everything we face. My first point today, my first point for you is because God sent Jesus, you have a Savior who can relate with you. He understands the same temptations, the same fears, all of the struggles, all of those things that you and I go through. He became a man. He was a human, fully human, fully God, but also fully human. He did that so that he could live under the law and that he could conquer it, so that he could be the one person throughout all of history who lived a sinless, perfect life so that he could sacrifice his life for us and he could die in the place of us on the cross. We do not serve an aloof God who prefers to stay a safe distance away. We don't serve a God who says, ooh, that's too gross, that's too much for me. 
No, I don't want anything to do with that. No, he just came in. He came all the way in. And his perfect plan for salvation and for deliverance includes sending Jesus into this world for us. He's a born under the law of a woman. And no matter what you're going through today, no matter what you're feeling, what you're thinking, God understands. Jesus experienced it too. He knows what we're feeling and he knows what we're tempted with. And he can relate with us. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness. For he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Jesus went through those same struggles, the same fatigue and suffering. And that's what this text means. Because of this, you can never say, God, you don't understand me. You can never say, oh, God just doesn't... He has no idea what I'm going through. It's great to have somebody who understands what you're going through, right? Well, that's God. That's our Savior because he sent Jesus into this world. Are you suffering today? Not as much as Jesus Christ suffered for you. Are you tired and weary? Not nearly as much as Jesus Christ was, especially when he was tempted in the wilderness, especially when he went to the cross. Are you lonely? Think about this. Jesus was abandoned by everyone. He was even abandoned by God the Father. Someone who will never abandon us. Because Jesus took our sin. And he died for it. So don't ever blame God for the suffering and the pain and the, stri the trials that you go through. Realize that he went through them by the Son, Jesus Christ. And he understands what you're going through. So instead... Cry out to him and run to him and, and find him and talk to God in those times. The byproduct of God sending Jesus into this world to, become a, to, to make a family, to bring us into the family, is that Jesus can relate with us. He understands what we're going through. Jesus, like all of us, was required to keep the law perfectly. But Jesus, unlike any of us, actually did keep the law perfectly. Thank God for that. Praise Jesus for that. For his, the entirety of his life, he kept the law perfectly. And we have a lot to rejoice in that. See, that's something that the shallow religiosity of Christmas, the Christmas season just completely misses. We got Jesus' birthday. Yay, great, wonderful. Let's start talking about there's a lot more to it. There's the fact that we didn't deserve, first of all, this salvation, but that Jesus came in here to this world and he knows what we're going through. He lived with us. So God sending Jesus doesn't just mean that he can relate to us either. That's true, that's amazing, but there's even another step to this. Here's part two, and then you can see this in the next verse. Point two is, because God sent Jesus, you can find redemption. Because God sent Jesus, you can find redemption. Look at verse 5. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So this word redeemed, this is a slavery term. And we don't like talking about slavery. Slavery is a horrible, dark thing, right? But slavery, the, the, the whole concept to get out of slavery, you have to be bought back or bought out of it. And that's what this word redeemed means. So he redeemed us 
bought us out of the slavery of sin. Now, you may be wondering, okay, why is it that the Bible always talks about the life before Jesus Christ as being in slavery? You know, maybe you, maybe you have some, some lost coworkers or friends or family members, and you, you're, maybe you're going to even have this conversation come up this Christmas season. Why do you talk about my life without Jesus as slavery? I'm free to do what I want to do. I'm not, I'm not serving God, right? That's, that's the way the world looks at this. They don't understand that whole concept. Why does the Bible say life without Jesus is slavery? It's because without Jesus you were enslaved to your own sinful passions, your own sinful pursuits. That, and it's sin because it's not God. If you're worshiping anything other than God, it's a false God. It's a little G-God. And those, those things, whether that be entertainment or pleasure or, or uh, just impressing people, all these other things that we live for, money, we are a slave to them because they are a cruel taskmaster. They don't give us what we actually need. Because we were hardwired, we were created to have a relationship with God. That's the only way we're going to try, try to find true joy, peace, and contentment. It's with our relationship with God. So yes, living for your own passions, even though you think, yeah, it's great. It's slavery. That's what the Bible calls it. It's slavery. Now, before we had Monroe... Julie and I, um, we wanted to adopt. We were actually thinking about doing that. We were like, all right, we got two boys. These boys are a handful. They're great. We love them. But wow, this is a lot. Let's get this church launched, and then maybe we can adopt. We thought about this. We talked about, a lot about it. Right now, we're going to hold off on that thought. I don't know. We, we still may adopt one day, but that's not going to come anytime soon. Maybe some of you are thinking about adoption, though. Um, and just like, put yourself in these shoes for a second. Like, What if you spent months and months of paperwork you spend all this money, you're going to go to Somalia and you're going to adopt a little girl, all right? You finally get there. You get on a plane and you get there and you meet this little girl. This has been like a couple years of work and effort and here she is. You're about ready to put her in your van and go home for the very first time and then they stop you and say, hey, wait, 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 wait. The price has changed. Um, you can't just take her. What we actually need from you is your firstborn son, your only son. And you give, you give us your son and you can take her. And, and you know, by the way, we're also going to murder your son. We're going to kill him because that's going to please everyone. Now, this is like, that's, that's like morbid and it's like, oh, wow, that's, that's a horrible thought, David. That's the same deal that God took to redeem us. He offered his son, Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, into this world, not just to live a life, not just to be a good example, not just to motivate us. No, he sent Jesus to die for us. That's the perspective of our loving Heavenly Father. Now, Verse 5 says, to redeem those who were under the law so that we, we might receive adoption as sons. Do you notice in the middle of that verse it says, so that? So, first of all, this Jesus coming into the world was amazing. 
Secondly, he redeems us. That's incredible. Now, wait a minute. You're telling me there's a so that? All of this, the fullness of time, everything is leading up to a so that? So there's more here? This adoption piece? There is more. There is more to being being in the family of God, to becoming a child of God. We're not just redeemed. We're not just set free from our sins. And that is glorious and amazing. But here's the beautiful thing. Jesus doesn't just redeem us and open the door wide open and say, now you're free to go. God the Father opens the door, sets us free, and he says, you're mine. You're mine. Not only did Jesus set you free and redeem you so that you could receive adoption. Wow. You are in the family of God if you have by faith repented of your sins and trusted Jesus Christ. That is salvation. It's redemption and it's adoption. A family for Christmas. That's what we have here. That's what's going on. This is the best news on earth. Jesus didn't just come to set you free. He came to set you free and to make you his own and to adopt you into the family. Look at verse 6. Verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So Christmas isn't just about God coming to us. It's about God coming into us. There's two sendings, right? There's a sending of Jesus Christ the baby born in a manger. There's also the sending of the Holy Spirit once you receive by faith this gift of eternal life. You receive the Holy Spirit who indwells inside you. Crying, Abba, Father. Now this is very interesting that we see this Abba, Father in the text here. Think about this with me. Paul is writing this letter to the Galatian church. These are Gentiles. Okay, so why is he using the word Abba? The word Abba is this, is this, um, this idiomatic Aramaic word, okay? And Bible translators often will, will say daddy. It's, it's this deeply personal, intimate, dependent kind of relationship. Um, so it's not just father. But why did Paul translate Abba, father? I mean, couldn't he have just used the, the Greek word for father, pater? He says Abba because Abba was only used one other time in one other place in the entirety of Scripture. Do you know when that was? The only other time we see Abba? It's when Jesus was in his darkest hour in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was, he was facing this impending wrath of God. He was ready to go to the cross to die for our sins. And he was sweating sweat drops of blood. And he cried out to God the Father, Abba. You can see it in Mark 14, verse 36. You can write that down and look at it later. Abba, Father. That's the only other time that ever happened in Scripture. And do you see what Paul is saying to, the, to the, the Gentile Galatians here? He's saying because you're a child of God, because you're adopted into the family now, you can cry out, Abba, Father. The same thing that Jesus Christ, God's son, cried out to him. The cry of desperation. We have that same ability now because we are in the family. Because we have a family for Christmas. 
So when you are in desperate straits, you can cry out, Abba, Father. This is the cry when we're afraid. It's the cry of prayer when we get the worst news of our life. It's the prayer from the pit of depression. It's the cry when we get the diagnosis that we feared the most. We can cry out to him, and you better believe he will hear you. Because you've been adopted as a son and daughter into his family. It's the cry for the one who needs a daddy who will be there for them. I hope you haven't stopped crying out to God. I hope you realize that this is, is incredibly, incredibly important. I've heard it said that when you go to foreign countries and you step into an orphanage, it can be eerily dead quiet. Uh, and it's not because all the kids are asleep. It's not because the kids don't have needs. It's because these kids in these orphanages in these third world countries have never had anyone answer their cry. So they just gave up and they don't cry anymore. In our relationship with God, we can sometimes grow so far away from him that we forget we are his child. And he loves us. He sent Jesus to die for us, to save us. We can always cry out to him. And you know what we will receive? Unlike Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane when he went to the cross and he received the wrath of God, we will never receive the wrath of God if our names are written in the book of life and our sin is under the blood. Instead of the wrath of God, we will receive the grace of God because we are a child of God. So we never have to experience the full extent of what Jesus experienced. He took our place. He did it for us. When you cry out to God, I hope you do. I hope you don't just get angry. I hope you don't just ignore it. I hope you don't just block it away. I hope you don't just like pretend that it's not real. I hope you take that time in your relationship to cry out to your Abba Father and ask him to help you in those times of need. Go ahead and cry, and he will respond with grace. Now we've come full circle here. We're already to verse 7, and I want to just back up and feel the full weight of this by starting in verse 4, and we're going to get to our last point. So starting in verse 4, we're going to read all the way to verse 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Here it is, verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. An heir through God. This is point four, final point. Because God sent Jesus you have an inheritance available. Not only can Jesus understand who you are, not only can he relate with you, not only do you have that common bond with your Savior, not only are you redeemed and bought out of slavery, not only are you adopted into the family, now you are an heir of his righteousness. You have an inheritance waiting for you in heaven. Unreal. 
Now, the, when you think about the immediate context here, there was a lot, of, a lot more adoption going on back then simply because if you didn't have a, a male son, you wouldn't be able to pass anything on to them. So you had to adopt a son to actually send down your wealth. And as a matter of fact, Caesar Augustus, who plays a huge part in the Christmas story, the one who called everyone to their, their home city to be taxed and have that census, Caesar Augustus was actually adopted by Julius Caesar when you look at the Roman history, okay? So how's that for like an inheritance, right? I'm adopting you and you're getting the kingdom of Rome. That's pretty big. That's pretty nice. That's a nice inheritance to take. But you know what, Christian? We all have a greater inheritance than the kingdom of Rome. Because not only are we going to get a new earth, it's not going to be cursed with sin. It's not going to be this crummy, dirty, messed up place where there's sin and brokenness and pain all around us. We're going to get a new earth where there is no more pain, no more sickness, where, where he is going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. How marvelous is that thought? But you know what? Even if we got that, it would still be frustrating and there would still be angst if we didn't get the ultimate thing that we see in Revelation 21, verse 3. Revelation 21, verse 3 tells us the ultimate prize that we get, and it is God the Father. Look at, look at that verse with me. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are treasures forevermore. How much joy? Fullness of joy. How much pleasure? Maximum pleasure. Not because we have everything we ever wanted, because we're with our Heavenly Father. We are adopted into the family. We receive this inheritance. We have a family for Christmas. And He loves us. And that's why He sent Jesus into this world to die for us. We get God Himself. That's worth sharing. That's worth telling people about. That's worth celebrating about. And what are we supposed to really do with this? That's motivation. That's excitement. But look at Galatians 4, verse 7, okay? Next verse is verse 8. Following verse is verse 9. I know you know that. I'm going to read verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Yeah, we talked about that earlier. We're not in slavery anymore. We're redeemed, right? But now that you have come to know God, I love Paul's correction, or rather, to be known by God. He's the one who initiated this. He's the one who saved you. It was all him. Because you have become known to God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Sarcastic, sarcastically says, Paul sarcastically says, believe me, you don't want that anymore. You want to be slaves again? Of course not. You don't want to be a slave to fear. You don't want to be a slave to this endless pursuit of trying to achieve things. You remember what that old life was like before you were redeemed, before you were adopted, before you have this inheritance waiting for you? 
you are a child of God. Becoming a child of God is the most amazing thing that could ever happen to any of us. And it's what we celebrate this Christmas season. That's the full story of Christmas. It's not just Jesus' birthday. It's becoming a child of God. You were called a child of God. Love has called your name. What a marvelous mystery that is unraveled before us. Let's sing about that and let's praise God for becoming a child of God, for adopting us into his family. You unraveled me. Bye.